powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Tony Richards here, your executive coach and business coach, and I want to welcome you to today's program. Today's program is brought to you by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. I'll be right back on Better Than Before on the C-Suite Radio Network. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, your host. Our special guest today will be Daryl Amy, and he's joining us today to tell us a little bit about growing revenue in a post-COVID-19 economy. One thing companies, I think, always kind of struggle with is how much should we be growing and what should we set for our targets as far as growth is concerned? How's that changed? What was it like before the COVID crisis and what is it going (laughs) to look like going forward? Well, I laugh because my observation of working with organizations and helping them develop revenue growth strategies, that always begins with a conversation around growth goals. And my observation was that by and large, companies had two ways of setting growth goals before the COVID crisis. One was the spaghetti on the wall method. And we can kind of laugh about that. But, you know, a lot of times companies set a goal at the beginning of the year and then they don't look at it and they come back at the end of the year and go, we hit it. We didn't. It wasn't really based on any reality. The other way that's far more common is what I call the ruler method, where we go, okay, we know what our growth trajectory has been over the last three years. So we've been growing at 10.5% year over year. So let's set our goal for next year at 10.5%. It's a conservative way to go about doing things, and it works well when the economy is going in the right direction, even though you might be leaving money on the table using the ruler method. The problem right now, though, is the ruler method is not a good thing. It's pointing in the wrong direction for most organizations. You know, they say in the investment world, the trend is your friend. But if your revenue just dropped, the trend is not your friend. So how do you set goals 
going forward? And this is a really, really common question we get asked because how do we figure this out? How do we set something realistic? And I think the way to do it is to just go down one level and ask yourself the question, what drives revenue? What are the sources of revenue? And I believe that if you boil it down to the most basic level, there really are only two ways to grow revenue. We get net new customers and we sell more to our current customers. So net new and cross sell. And the measurements for those are actually really simple. The first net news, how many customers do we have? And I've got a baseline now that I can set a growth goal on. If I have a thousand customers now, I can set goals to grow the number of customers. The second me measurement is what is my revenue per customer, which is actually simple math. Take your total revenue for the period, divide it by your number of customers. And now you have a baseline for your revenue per customer. Now, what I recommend is both is companies, rather than looking at that total revenue number, go, okay, hey, realistically, what do you think we can do in terms of net new customer ads? You know, if we have the sales processes in place, what can we bring on board? And then the second question to ask is, if we're doing a good job of managing our client base and have the processes in place to cross sell more to our clients, how much do we think we could increase our revenue per customer? Now, if you add those two together, then I think you get a realistic total revenue goal. And what I've found, Tony, is if you can show reasonable conservative growth in total number of customers and in revenue per client at the same time, you can grow far quicker than you thought. In fact, if you just pull the spreadsheet out, if you text revenue to 21,000, you can access our toolkit. And the first thing on there is a a revenue growth planner that just says, hey, plug in your number of customers and figure out your revenue per customer and then set a goal of say 12% growth in each one of those areas. And you'll see on that spreadsheet, you can double your revenue in just around 36 months. Yeah, But it, it takes like peeling it down a level and putting it on something you can actually get your arms around, which is how many customers do we have and what's our revenue per customer. Today's guest is Chris Shipferling. He's the managing partner at Global Wired Advisors, where he's also the first point of contact for clients working to sell their online businesses. For the past seven years, he's focused exclusively on high-level consulting for multi-million dollar omni-channel, digitally native, and Amazon-based private label and reseller brands. What are some of the things that a business owner needs to do if they're thinking about selling their business? In other words, how do they prepare to put their business on the block? Yeah, great question. So a couple of things, you know, one, it's always good to get in touch with us or a firm like ours early. If you're a maturing cash flowing business, you have profitability, you have historical sales data, even if it's just two years, but you're seeing great growth and you're seeing very healthy cash flow and very healthy profitability, it's good to get in touch with us. Every business is different. Every business has different DNA. And so from our perspective, we're able to really dig in and dive in. And if there's certain nuances to your company, we're able to give you better, more granular detail. But kind of going 20, 20, 20 to 30,000 feet, get your books in order, make sure they're organized, have a good bookkeeper, have a good accountant, make sure you have your tax returns. You know, these are some basic tenets of just good business practice. Understand where your company's going. Have a real plan for the future. Don't just sit there and do a bunch of guesswork and say, I think I'm going to do this. Sit down and write out a, market, a marketing plan. 
write out a three-year business plan. It's all over the internet if you are a small business and you don't have the acumen or even say the business school background or the corporate background. You can find a lot of these templates that will help guide you through what it looks like to create a three-year business plan. Product roadmap, if you're a consumer products good, if you're a SaaS or software company, what's your customer acquisition strategy? How are you going to grow more customers? How are you going to grow more acquisition when it comes to your software, your software business? And so I'd say planning, really, really having a good plan, have organized books. And I'd also say the third tenet, know your data, know your metrics. Don't do a bunch of guesswork. That's the last thing you want to do when you're trying to prepare your business for sale. So a lot of that goes back to organization. But if you're running a consumer products company and you don't have any digital marketing data to really understand what's happening with your business, you're flying blind. In flight school, they teach you both VFR, which is visual, and they teach you IFR as well, which is instrumental. It's understanding your instruments. And it's vital that if you want to fly an airplane, you have to understand every single instrument that you're reading to fly the plane. It's the same thing in digital marketing. And it's the same thing with your company. Know your metrics. So let's go back to the other end, which isn't really the part that you deal with, but I'm just kind of curious. How do a lot of these business start? Well, I mean, it just depends on the industry. You know, pets, baby products, and toys usually burst from some level of passion or some level of mainly baby products and pet and even with health and beauty are usually spawned from something that's missing. A mom created a new type of widget because she saw that her baby, her toddler was doing X and realized that if I invented this will actually help me or will help my child. And so a lot of those businesses get started and they're birthed from from a simple idea. You know, we've seen a lot of the companies we've taken to market and sold. It's just that. In fact, a lot of them were started as, I wouldn't say a lot, that's placing a large percentage, but there are a decent handful that were started just as a hobby. That's it. They were started as a hobby. And then all of a sudden, their branding, their product, it clicked. And it clicked really well in the marketplace. And so they quickly had to pivot from a hobby to, oh my goodness, I have a real business. Now I have to treat it like a real business. I'm going to be visiting with Giselle Kavari. She is the president and co-founder of InGen Performance Company, and she's an expert on generations in the workforce. Tell us the different generations that we now have cohabitating and working together. So it's really interesting because I've been doing research, as you mentioned, for a number of years. And when I started in this space in 2003, there was really three predominant generations, the traditionalists, the baby boomers, and the Gen Xers. I'm a Gen Xer. And back then, as a Gen Xer, I was one of the younger people, quote unquote, right? One of the younger people that organizations were struggling to understand and to recruit and to manage and to lead. And then millennials joined the workforce. And we used to refer to them as Gen Ys. And then the language changed, so they're the millennials. And now we've got Gen Zs. And this is the youngest generation that's represented in our organization. So lots of workforces today, most of the organizations I work with still have three or four generations. And in some cases, they will have all five generations. The traditionals are the oldest and they're 75 to 98. So, I mean, arguably not a lot of them left in the workplace. 
but they still exist. They're in the boards, they're at senior leadership levels or executives, and then they're also in part-time roles. I mean, I think a lot when you go to the Walmart, that greeter sometimes might be a traditionalist. There are people who have still stayed in the workforce. You've got the baby boomers that are the 56 to 74. Again, lots of them retiring. 9.6 million baby boomers in Canada, but 78 million in the U.S. So a huge group of people. And each year, more of them are moving out of the workforce. And that's making room for younger people. The Gen Xers are sort of sandwiched in between this big boom of baby boomers that happened after the war with the Gen Xers that are between 40 and 55 years old. So right in that mid-career senior leadership roles in many cases, highly influential, but a much, much smaller generation than the baby boomers. And the boomers' kids are the millennials. And they're between 25 and 39. A lot has been written about the millennials. In fact, there's been, unfortunately, a lot of millennial bashing over the last five, six years. But this is the generation that's come in and really shake things up. And now we've got the Gen Zs, as I mentioned. So they're 24 years and all the way down to eight years old. So obviously those eight-year-olds aren't coming in our workplace yet. But those 24-year-olds just graduating from college coming right into the workforce. And so we have these different generations represented. And we also have these different generational mindsets. Even if someone isn't that age, they might have that mindset. What areas of business are impacted by generational differences? It's really very, very broad. When I started doing this work in 2003, I can be honest, Tony, I really didn't think that this was going to be an issue in 2020. I started the business back then with my former business partner, and we thought, oh, this is going to be kind of fun, and we'll offer up some learning and help people through this, and then everyone will sort it all out. And here we are 17 years later in business. And in some cases, it's just tip of the iceberg because it's impacting everything. So, of course, leadership and the ability for leaders to understand the generations that they're leading and how to engage them. It impacts sales. So how I work with a lot of organizations and sales teams to say, how do you layer on a generational perspective to your sales process and your communication? So what are the customer service techniques? It's very different. If you're trying to sell to my mother, who's, you know, almost in her late 70s and her almost early 80s, that's going to be very different than trying to sell to my niece, who's 15. Actually, well, she's not 15 yet. But this adjustment to the sales and service piece is important. It's impacting recruiting and retention and talent management, all the HR practices, policies and programs around flexible work arrangements, reward recognition, performance management, all those things. And then, of course, it's impacting the ability to onboard new hires and to work with the millennials and the Gen Zs themselves to set them up for success. How do we bring them into an organization, make them aware of those other generational mindsets so that they can successfully navigate in the organization and integrate into their team? So we're finding it across the board. And that's, I find, what most exciting and most interesting about this work is all those different areas. Team collaboration. So how do the teams work well together? How do they understand their differences? And how do they strengthen their communication and their ability to manage and handle conflict? I will have your business and leadership lesson coming up next on Better Than Before. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. 
At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards. And as you probably can imagine, for chief executive officers, there are innumerable issues, or as we're identifying them today, traps that a chief executive can get snared into in the course of everyday business. Regardless of the amount of time your tenure lasts at the top, you're going to encounter many, many situations which will test your current abilities and capacity. Today, I'm going to just discuss three areas that can present traps, which are of a cognitive nature. Hopefully, with these thoughts in mind, you can practice and develop yourself in some of these areas. And of course, I'm always available to discuss these and other situations you feel may be affecting your performance or even hindering it. The first trap that a CEO can fall into is what I will call self-delusion. Now, this is such a massive topic in regard to people in important positions that it should be its whole entire subject, and we shall do that coming up at some point in the future. But just for now, let's say that it entails not seeing things as clearly as maybe you should be. And there is a double-edged sword to deal with in this case. If you see things better than they are, you may be often disappointed as reality begins to pound away at you over the course of times, because if you see things worse than they are, you may get hopeless and have your faith sucked right out of you. And for CEOs and other high-level executives, this often plays out in taking things at face value, primarily with direct reports. If they tell you things are good or the situation is normal and you just accept that without being curious or doing any verification, then you can often get some very bad surprises. Maybe even on some level, you suspect things are not quite as good as they are reporting, but it's just easier to take their word for it. You don't ask questions or probe, and you don't talk to any people in their division of the organization. You don't make any on-site visits. And this can also happen with your own leadership. You've been doing things the same way for quite a while, and your results are acceptable or maybe even slightly exceeding expectations. So you're pretty content to maintain the status quo, and your blind spots do not afford you the opportunity to see what is bubbling just below the surface with your team or even with yourself. Just keep in the back of your mind and know 
that your singular viewpoint is often unreliable and it's never a bad idea to have an objective third party helping you look for things that maybe you're just not seeing. Number two trap, getting too excited about an outside opportunity. Market opportunities are exciting. They're very exciting. We're always at the top of the mast of our ships with our telescopes out, looking out for those wonderful sightings, which can mean future success. An especially dangerous place to be is when we've been on a long winning streak and everything we've ventured into so far has turned into gold for our organizations. And we fall victims to this trap because the real value of many things is not certain. There are so many variables to come into play. And another complication that involves is plenty of other competitors are also looking for these same opportunities. And the more interested parties there are, the greater the likelihood of a gold rush toward those opportunities. Everybody wants to get this particular opportunity or deal. So it turns very competitive. And before long, you're fighting over a moldy old turkey leg that immediately looked like a delicious meal. So we always want to outdo our competition. We always want to beat our competitors. We don't want to get beat on a possible opportunity. And this occurs even when the winner will likely to lose money. But at least we were the first ones to lose money, right? Madness, for sure. Perhaps you've heard the old question, what would you pay for a $100 bill? Imagine you and an opponent are invited to take part in an auction for the $100 bill. Whoever makes the highest offer gets the $100 bill. And when this happens, both bidders have to pay their final offer. How high would you go? And when you consider the deal, you think it makes sense to offer to pay $20, $30, or even $40? Your opponent does the same, and then $99 seems like it would work. Your competitor offers $100. And if this deal closes, they will come away breaking even and you'll pay $99. So you keep bidding at 110. You have a guaranteed loss of $10, but your opponent will have to pay 109. So not wanting to lose, you keep bidding. When will you stop the madness? When will they stop the madness? Try this out with your friends and see what happens. Often the fear of losing out on something, especially if we're perceiving it as a great opportunity, is just too powerful to resist. And if you don't want to lose money at an auction, it's best not to even go. Trap number three, being too insulated. When you're the CEO or another high-level executive position, you're constantly battling the issue of time. There doesn't seem to be enough of it, and so what do we do? We become protective of it and consequently of ourselves too, and this can lead to an illusion of attention. Uh, this means that we're confident in the fact that we're on top of everything that takes place in front of us, and the reality is we only see what we're focusing on. This is a problem because of our previous decision to be protective of our time. So unexpected and often unnoticed items, some minuscule but very vital, can pass before our area of accountability and we never, ever notice the occurrence. They may be of the utmost importance and urgency and they really need to be addressed by us, but nobody knows about it. Whatever we fail to notice may go and remain unheeded. We must be careful to embrace the thought that if anything is urgent or important, we will notice it. We will take heed of it. 
some of these elephants in the room stomp around us in the room every single day, and we hardly even point at them. So you got to confront all possible and seemingly impossible scenarios. Expect the unexpected as best you can. Plan for the likely. Plan for the unlikely. There is a great benefit to thinking enough that even the slightest chance scenario could happen. What is lurking behind the burning issues? Keep in mind, just because you're a high-ranking executive does not mean you're all-knowing and you're all-seeing. It only means you're susceptible to these traps. They are common to all humans, no matter the position and no matter the title. Pay attention to silence as much as a terrible squeaking wheel. Check the edges, not just the center. Think the unthinkable and stay out of these three costly traps. That's our show today. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and Clear Vision DEV. Special thanks, as always, to our outstanding producer, Tessa Hall. And until we visit again next week, I'm your host, Tony Richards, on Better Than Before, reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.